and welcome back to What Is Life Dude, the podcast. My name is Eric. I'm Sarah. We are joined again this week by co-host Yo-Yo the Pup. Heavy breathing sounds. <laughs> she's not going to say anything. She's but on my she's lap. <laughs> gonna, she, her head's uh, precariously close to the microphone. Mm-hmm. Okay, how are you today, my sweet honey? I've been so productive. I mean, productive in a way that has nothing to do with my work. Because I, I guess when I have to do a, a job that I don't want to do, I suddenly become very interested in deep cleaning the entire house. So that's what I've done all day. Deep cleaned the kitchen, took everything out of the fridge, wiped everything down, put it back in. So organized. Very satisfying. And whenever you end up doing that, I end up cleaning something else just just because right. I'm not it's hard for me to sit there and play video games while you're like cleaning a part Slaving of the house away because I'm like oh I got to do something so I picked up the basement which we're sitting in right now which is where we record the podcast and record everything else and man it looks good down here it, it truly does well I had I had my drum kit mic'd up and I had my guitar amp set up and a bass amp set up and there were chords everywhere but it's just you, you're more productive when you clean everything up and use whichever cables you need to use at any given time, right? Yeah, cables are one of those things that just make a space look so much messier. I just clean up all the cables in our uh, in my office too. Yeah. Makes a big difference. But if it, it feels different down here cuz I'm like, "Oh, it's a studio space." Like, we're always recording stuff. Like, I'm going to leave it I'm going to leave everything in use. Then after a while, all the cables are just they're just everywhere. Tangled and everywhere and on top of you and you're tripping on them. You're just like, you know what? I know it's a studio and it's, a, it's like, it's forgivable if it's messy, but I had to take care of it. And I am happy I did. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened yesterday? So what, ha- what did happen yesterday? <laughs> yesterday, uh, I went into the hospital for a pacemaker generator replacement surgery. I got a pacemaker put in when I was 10 years old because I had something they called... I think there's a more medical term for it, but I know it as second degree heart block, which basically means there's some there's some electrical malfunction in your heart, which causes it to miss beats. Some people have it where their heart does that while they're asleep, uh, which is what happened to me. And others have it, it happens to them while they're awake and they end up getting really dizzy and almost blacking out or, or not blacking out, passing out. And some people pass out. So it can be very dangerous. Um, So they caught this when I was 10 and they put a pacemaker in. And every few years you need the battery replaced. So this was my third one. And yeah, I technically had heart surgery yesterday. Uh, It's way way scarier to tell people that I had heart surgery than the surgery actually was. Yeah, it was very easy. You were there for like, well, we were there for a lot of the day just signing in and all the preparation and like 10 different people checking in with you, 10 different staff, mm-hmm. all of them asking you the exact, the exact same questions like, oh, you're awfully young to be here. And me saying the yeah. same thing. Oh, yeah, this is my third pacemaker. What? Yeah. Yeah, everyone asked the same question, which is fine. You made a funny comment to me. You were like, can't they just pass the information <laughs> along to each other? Right. <laughs> so they don't, everyone seemed, it was like everyone was starting from... Uh, no information. Right. It's funny because I have the the opposite experience every time I go in for a checkup. 
because I've been with Kaiser for a couple of years and they got my information from my past healthcare provider. So they just know everything about me. <laughs> and they just like casually will ask me like, oh, how's this? How's this condition? How's this? I'm like, uh, how do you know that? Right. It's all in my uh, my history. Hmm, we see you had a yeast infection uh, 12 <laughs> years ago. That didn't happen, luckily. <laughs> right. How, can you tell me what that was like? And you're like, this is not appropriate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Stop looking at my file. Uh, so yeah, we went in in the morning. The surgery only took about an hour. Basically what they do, so the pacemaker is, it sits on the left side of my chest, like above, basically right under the skin, like above. I think it's like on top of all my muscle or whatever. And there's, I have one singular lead that goes into a part of my heart. And it can send like an electrical signal as needed if my heart does that thing where it stops. So the lead, the lead is fine. They didn't have to replace that. It's just the battery in the in the pacemaker itself. So they basically open up the scar. Sorry if this grosses you out. So uh, trigger warning if you're skeeved out by things. Right. But they pop. They open up the scar. They disconnect the lead from my old pacemaker. They take it out, put a new one in, connect the lead, and close it up. It's like not, it's not invasive at all. Super simple, not scary. And fun fact, I was awake for the entire thing. Which or was, so I think. Which was not the intention. No. So they, I didn't know this until recently because as you know from last week's episode, we're watching my mom's dog because she had surgery last week. But I learned from talking to my doctors and to her doctors that general anesthesia, like where they knock you out is more rare than I thought it was. Right. So apparently you can't breathe on your own when they give you general anesthesia and they put like a, a ventilator tube in your mouth. and That that skews me out. That's scary. Yeah. yeah. So that's for like the real invasive, painful, long surgeries. They don't want you waking up. Right. So what they did for me is they they just like sedated me. Mm. They gave me. They gave me like a sedative through my IV and it was supposed to just like make me fall asleep but fall asleep excuse me fall asleep like i would fall asleep at night you know i'm breathing regularly everything's normal i just don't wake up and they kept giving me more and more and i kept not falling asleep i got like really woozy and like almost like drunk feeling Mm. but i (laughs) didn't fall asleep and like i think at some points they they thought i was asleep like, as, like, hey, I'm still here. Right, as they were prepping, and I was like, oh, how much longer till we start? And they were like, oh, <laughs> you're still up? <laughs> hey, you're hanging in there, huh? And I was like, I'm very resilient. Well, it's funny because when the, the lady who came in to talk about sedating you, the, the lady who wheeled you into the OR. Abigail. Sure, she I, was. I remember all their names because I was awake. Right. So she was talking, she was telling you a little about the sedation Mm -hmm. and how you might wake up but you won't remember anything and you're like well that's creepy and she's like no don't worry you won't remember any of it i do this every day and then you would be the one person who's resistant to it (laughs) you would be well it's like that lack of control thing like i hate Mm -hmm. not feeling in control of stuff so it would make sense that subcon i mean i was laying there like closing my eyes like everything felt happy and woozy (laughs) and i was like i'm just gonna go to sleep and then i like just didn't (laughs) and i it, it makes sense like subconsciously that I would be the one to fight it, even if I wasn't trying to. Right. But there was an amnesic effect, which they said it would have. Because at some points I was like, am I supposed to be asleep? And they were like, no, no, you're, are you feeling any pain? And I'd say, no, it, I feel what you're doing, but I'm not in pain. Just pressure. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, then it's okay. Basically, as long as it doesn't hurt. Hmm. But it was weird because I kept, as they were prepping, I kept thinking I was going to go under. 
and I just didn't. And they had like a like a paper tent over my head to protect germs and protect me from looking at the surgeon or whatever. Right. And at some point I just felt like I felt like a pinch and I was like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we're just putting like local anesthesia on. I'm like, okay. And then it went away as it got numbed. And then everything was indiscernible. I had no idea how much time was passing. Right. Then a certain amount of time later, I was like, oh, I feel something. What are you doing now, doc? He was like, we're making the incision. <laughs> And normally you'd be like, you're making the incision. What? What? No. <laughs> but I wasn't asleep, but I also wasn't worried, you know. Right. So it did have a good positive it was effect. that good good. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You're making the incision. I was like, this should probably hurt, but it doesn't feel like anything. <laughs> right. And there are parts where like I kind of feel like I don't remember. But I'm pretty sure I kept asking questions the entire time. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're pulling out the old generator. What are you doing now? We're putting the new one in. Oh, we're attaching the lead. I like remember them walking me through the whole thing, which I'm sure was probably super annoying to them. Fasc- <laughs> fascinating to <laughs> well, me. It's though. very on brand for you. <laughs> and, then at the vi- and then at the very end, I don't remember anything. Yeah. Like, it, like I fell asleep, I guess, right at the very end. Then they wheeled you back into the recovery room. Mm-hmm. And I was gone. Because yeah. I was furiously running errands in she, the in You the were time. gone being a great partner. Right. I went to get Eric I went to get Eric all the snacks that he requested for his convalescence. And um he requested a buffalo chicken uh salad for dinner with mac mm-hmm. and cheese. So I went to get those ingredients. So good. And then I went to get him a gigantic Jamba Juice smoothie because he had to fast from midnight the previous night. Until when, like, 3 the next day? Yeah, it was, day. like, 3 p.m. All the intermittent fasters are, like, <laughs> rookie. No big. Right? Um, but, yeah, Sarah took my 30-something ounce Yeti Rambler <laughs> and filled and poured the Jamba Juice in it. So it was, like, this ice-cold smoothie when I woke up. It was awesome and beautiful oh. and delicious. So last thing about yesterday's procedure. I asked them, and I've asked before. I was like, can I have my old pacemaker? And in the past, they've been like, no, you can't have it. Why, I wonder. I, I don't know. But they gave me my old pacemaker in a little bag. It's literally, how big is it? It's like the size of two quarters. Yeah. Maybe. It's extremely small, very thin, like it, an inch thick. That's it. It's so tiny in this little bag. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's it. That thing kept me alive, I guess. <clears throat> very strange. For but now some it's, time, yeah. Yeah, now it's a memento. So do you want to get in? Well, I want to say, do, do you want to get into the topic? Well, we've, we're kind of into the topic. The we're topic, talking about like health stuff. Yeah. Which is fitting because everyone is, uh, there's this mass hysteria about coronavirus now. Right. How does it make you feel? What do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on it? Well, it's interesting because I don't really follow the news. So any news that I get I get through social media, right? It, like any news that reaches me has to be a big enough deal for people to be posting about it. And then I'll look into it. So it, I don't know. This has been going, the, the topic has been circulating for a couple weeks. Yeah. And I, I'm really not one to give in to like hysteria usually. Um, so I was like, oh, fine. Interesting. I hope no one gets sick. But but now that it's it's escalated so much where people are, Working from home, at companies are actually like mandating people to work from home. NBA, what postponed or the just NBA, canceled the, the season? 
Well, so the NBA is in the middle of their season right now. The playoffs yeah. are like in a month and a half, I yeah. think. Mm -hmm. And they just suspended it like indefinitely. Interesting. So they paused, basically. Yeah. Um, the NHL did the same thing. And MLB, which hasn't started yet, just postponed it for at least two weeks, they say. Right. So it seems like they're going to do a normal season just late. Yeah, it's which will, everywhere. Which will be crazy because I'm a huge baseball fan, if you listeners don't know. And Sarah, by proxy, likes and knows about baseball. I do. But the last games the, in the playoffs in the World Series, they're played like at the, at the very end of October. And so when, it'll be winter. Well, and when cold weather teams play in the World Series, like those games are cold. So if they're pu pushed back at least two weeks, that's November. So if you're playing like if the Mets or the Yankees play like the Red Sox up in Boston... Like that's, those are going to be cold games. Yeah. But maybe they'll shorten it. I don't know. Maybe I love baseball. This it. isn't a baseball podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'll stop. Yet. Yet. Right. So to answer your question, like now that it's it's literally like every every post on social media is about coronavirus. Tom Hanks and his wife just announced they have coronavirus. And I'm like, damn, should I be, you know holding up in my home? I didn't go to the gym today because I'm like, do I what? Do I need to be careful about this? Right. I mean, apparently, if you're young and otherwise healthy, it mostly manifests as kind of like flu or like a, a bad cold, I guess. So I hope that's true. But I mean, I understand why people who like the elderly and people with compromised immune systems would be very scared. Yeah. And, you know, my dad made a good point today. We were talking about it. He was like, well, you know, even if you're okay, you still don't want to go catch it from someone, not know you have it, and then, you know, we can go visit grandma and grandpa yeah. and get them sick or something. Yeah. But but how could you ever know? How could right? you? <laughs> well, we, I mean, you know, we don't get, we try not to get political on this podcast, but something that the president is being criticized for mm -hmm. is, I, I guess a lot of other countries, like South Korea is sending out like 20,000 test kits a day. To mm. people so they can test themselves for it. Right, because you can harbor it without showing it. You can, you can harbor it for like five to seven days, right? Before, mm -hmm. I could be wrong, before you show any it's symptoms. something like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess our government is being criticized for just being late on the draw on that and not getting test kits out to anyone. Are they going to? I, I think they're trying to, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I, so that's something that definitely could be, could be happening in, and is happening in... Uh, better functioning societies than our own, unfortunately. Fortunately for them. So, yeah, there are ways, but we just don't have access to them right now. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking that it must... Every, every, everyone I see on social media, on Instagram, all my friends, my friends and, like, professional people I follow, everyone's saying the same thing. Oh, like, hang in there. It's a tough week. You know, what a crazy week. And for you and I, we're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like... It's because we don't go to work. Mm -hmm. Everyone else either goes to work or school every day. Right. So, like, I'm sure Chris and Jasmine from Sweet Simple Vegan are kind of having the same feeling because they both work from home yeah. and own their own business. And they're probably like, what? What the hell's happening? It's like, I, like, we know the pandemic thing is happening and everyone's very scared, but you and I aren't getting any, oh, we're being mandated to work from home. Oh, there's this and there's that. We're just, nothing's really changed for us except we're hearing about yeah. all this uh, outrage. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Right. 
Well, I think the most annoying thing is that there's no way to know how long this is going to go on. Like, it, the virus is going to stick around, you know? Yeah. And they say that a vaccine is, like, at least a year out, right? Yeah. I, I read 18 months today, mm-hmm. but... A year at minimum. I mean, there's a flu shot, and people don't even get that, including... I did get it. Did you get it this year? I got it this year, yeah. Why? I Not just like, happened, oh, you shouldn't have. No, but. I just happened to be at the doctor getting a right. checkup, and they were like, oh, you want a flu shot? I was like, sure, because it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. We're not going to spend the whole podcast talking about coronavirus. It's just, <laughs> it's just a thing that's happening that I feel like is impossible not to talk about. Right. But it's in line with medical things, which is what we want to get into in this episode. Mm-hmm. So, let's take a little break, and then we'll, we'll talk about that. All right? Yeah, say, say all right in your New York accent. All right. I, I don't really have an accent. Can you say, accent. we're going to take a little break, all right? We're going to take a little, we're going to take a little break, all right? <laughs> and we're back and we're done talking about the coronavirus. So th- the, uh, the impetus for, ow, when I like over accentuate words and stretch my face and neck, it like pulls on my chest skin and it hurts. Yeah. It yeah. hurts. Hopefully you got by- some stitches, some yeah. dissolvable stitches on Isn't there. that, they dissolve? What yeah. does that even mean? I've never had dissolvable stitches. What are they, what are they made of, sugar? <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> They're like prop stitches. Um, what was I going to say? So the, the, the whole pacemaker replacement surgery is obviously what Sarah and I have been talking about in, in the house. Did you hear that little click? I did. Well, hopefully that won't make it in the podcast. But I was telling her to, earlier today, I was like, when I was sitting in the hospital, I felt, I got kind of emotional at one point. Like This was pre-operation. I got kind of emotional because I was thinking how much easier that was than going through chemo, which is what I did eight-ish years ago, mm-hmm. and how, thank, how thankful I am to not be doing that and instead be getting... Like a pretty minor procedure yes, instead. That you were totally prepared for. Right. So that spurred the topic of why we're thankful for what we've been through. And that can relate to, to a whole number of things. Mm-hmm. But we didn't, we didn't discuss. Ad- we didn't plan it. We didn't plan this. We just kind of introduced the topic. Right. So let me ask you, Sarah. Wait, you go first. <laughs> you go first what? Well, what were you well, going to ask? I was going to ask you, okay, you thought I was going to ask you, oh, what's the hardest thing or something like that. But what I was going to ask you is, should I tell the cancer story? Because someone emailed us and said, if you're comfortable about talking about it, if you're comfortable with talking about it, will you talk about what you went through? Have I talked about it? I know that at one point, we talked about it the first round of the podcast, which is now okay. no longer available. Right. I feel like we have touched, we've touched on it. Since we've rebooted the podcast, especially I think we talked about it in the 36 questions that lead to love, right? Right. I mean, not the full in-depth story, but... Well, I can I can do like the quick rundown of the full story. Sure. If you think that would be... Sure. Yeah. So it all started August 3rd, 1994. I was born. <laughs> my, my first birth... No. <laughs> um, so when I was 17, I was at my... I was at music camp. And I noticed a like a little bump on the right side of my neck. I thought it was some sort of weird bug bite 
or something. It was like this little hard nodule in my neck. So we were like, hmm, that's curious. And we kind of just waited and weeks went by and we were like, let's keep an eye on it. And then it it ended up growing and growing and it kind of like was a big mass in the right side of my neck. And we were like, well, this can't be great. So we went to a bunch of doctors and they, I got it biopsied and they told me I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of, uh, it might be, I guess it's technically like a blood, a blood cancer. It's basically cancer of your lymph nodes. Your lymph nodes are found in your neck, in your armpits, in your groin. Your spleen is part of that because it's part of the lymph system. It's like part of your immune system, right? So they found that. They told me I was stage four, which means it had spread to parts of my body that aren't in the lymph system, which in my case was my chest and my lungs. They found these little cancer nodules in my lungs. So I did, very quickly, I started, I did four rounds of chemo. Each round was like three weeks. So it was a total of 12 weeks and then three weeks of radiation on my spleen, which for some reason needed radiation. So it was like a 15-week, how long is 15 weeks? How many months is that? A couple months. Almost four. It feels like it was longer than that. Maybe not though. I think it just felt longer because of uh, what I was doing. But... All that is to say, I spent a lot of 12, 13-hour days in the hospital getting chemo, with mostly with my dad on those days, and it was painful and horrifying. (laughs) Horrifying. Horrifying, to put it bluntly. Just a lot of, you're confined to a bed, you have IVs in your arm, or in my case- Oh, you were in a bed for the chemo? mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Not a chair? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do see chairs in movies. Maybe that's a um, an adult cancer treatment right. thing. My, I was, my dad had a chair. Yeah. yeah. I was in pediatrics since I was 17 at the time. I was like right on the cusp of being in the children's ward, which was sad. But I've heard it, it's less sad than when you're with the adults. Because mm-hmm. I guess a lot of the adults who are older, when they're getting cancer treatment, they've kind of like given up. Mm-hmm. And they don't really care about living anymore. Right. Whereas the children all want to fight for their lives because that's what kids do. Or like maybe are so young they don't fully understand that they are fighting for their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They just are instinctively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't have the the wherewithal to give up. Mm -hmm. So that was that. And that's that's the quick what. She's, She's petting the tiny dog on her lap and she's not moving. The dog has, is face deep into uh, this fuzzy blanket on my lap. I don't know how she's breathing. Anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> she hasn't. She has a blowhole on her back. <laughs> like she's like a whale. Uh, so yeah, that's the that's the overall gist of my cancer story. I I mean, if people want to hear it, we can do an episode where I where Sarah interviews me about it or something. But I don't I know. It's necessarily it's, know how to do that, right? Because I feel like. I don't know. I don't even really ask you about it now. Mm-hmm. I just wait for you to tell me what you want to tell me. Yeah. And it comes out in like in little bits. Little bursts. Well, it's definitely sad and depressing and brings back bad memories. And so just being in a hospital in general, like Sarah brought me the Jamba Juice yesterday because she was like, oh, I could bring you food. I could bring you this or that. And I'm like, I don't, I can't eat in hospitals anymore. Like I don't want to eat in hospitals. And especially like 
if you eat something in a hospital, you can associate the food with a bad memory of being in a hospital, and then you don't like it anywhere else. And I didn't want I didn't want to eat some food I really liked yesterday, and then not want to eat it ever again because I associate it with the hospital, you know. So that's why I was laying in the hospital bed yesterday, thinking, "Wow, I'm so happy." I'm going to get to go home tonight and I'll be a little sore in my chest for a few weeks and that's it. Right. Well, w- changing the topic a little bit, but we'll loop back to this. We have been watching Queer Eye mm. and what was that yesterday or the night before we watched an episode about um, someone who was disabled because he was shot several times and so he is paralyzed from the waist down, and he's been this, at the time of the filming, had been that way for like seven, eight years. Um, and in the show, he got the opportunity to actually meet his um, the shooter to kind of like talk over things and get some closure. And the guy was like, I don't even need a, an apology from you. I feel like it was the best thing that's ever happened to me because it it made him change his life in all these really radical ways. And now he's like super fit and optimistic and independent in many ways. So it's just interesting. I feel like a lot of people who go through things like that, like extreme health issues and come out on the other end, have that perspective. Do you do you feel that way? Yeah, I sometimes wish I was just a little bit older when I got sick, which sounds weird because I feel like, I feel like it definitely did change and shape how I act. Right. And who I am. Mm -hmm. Like, I believe I got more compassionate and kinder afterwards, after experiencing, after experiencing something so traumatic, I feel like I was always kind of just like kind of a dick to people. Just to, More so than the average teenager? I would I would think so, yeah. Okay. Um, I can see that being true, just knowing you. Mm-hmm. Not that you're a dick, but you have a strong personality. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know how to, like, reel it in, I guess. I just didn't really care about... I, I didn't... I don't ever remember considering people's feelings. Sure. Until I got sick. What about being sick made that happen for you? I don't know. I guess we are doing the interview right now. <laughs> right? I don't know how to, I don't know how to like pull apart exactly what the feelings were. If there's just something about going through something terrible and realizing that a lot of people also go through something terrible and everyone, every single person goes through something at least a little bit traumatic that you can be compassionate about. And that right. there's always there's always a side to someone's story that you don't know. So do you think that a large part of this was the fact that you were in the pediatric ward speaking to children going through this? Do you think that do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um I don't I don't know. I don't know if I've ever thought of it like that. Um it's more just like I mean, maybe. Right, because the opposite could happen too. You could become really embittered yeah, and be like, well, it's not fair that I'm going through this and other people aren't. What did I do to deserve this? You know, it's like those stages of grief where you're like bargaining. You're like, why, why is this happening to me? I definitely went through that and I definitely wrote songs mm-hmm. about, about that. 
like the whole the the why me question, right? Okay, Which so there's no answer to why do you why did you say that you sometimes wish you had been a little bit older? Because I feel like I would have even I would have gotten even more clarity and changed more. Okay, while while it was happening. In what ways would you hope to change, to have changed? Well, I would have hoped that I'd be like a little more mature naturally just from being older, right? If I were 19 or 20, but it's hard to say how I would have evolved if I hadn't gotten sick at 17. So there's no real answer or reason. And it might have even, I mean, it's going to be disruptive either way to undergo that much medical treatment, but it it might have been even more disruptive if you were already in college because you'd have to put everything on hold, whereas... Your school was able to kind of help help you work around it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of, and by a lot of, I did, I mean, I did all my schooling that first semester of senior year of high school at home. So like once a week or once a day for two hours, a different teacher from a different subject would come to my house and teach me one-on-one, which was really great. And was it made it really easy to learn without being in a class. But had a, I made a lot of strong connections with my teachers, which was nice. But I just remember, like, like thinking certain people in high school were just assholes. Like, oh, that guy? No, he's just a dick. Yeah, but like, uh, I mean, you know, he's nice. He's nice to some people. Yeah, well, I think I think he's an asshole, right? And then I got sick, and I just you just start, or I just started considering more things i'm like oh that guy's dad that guy's dad died in 9-11 he was a first responder in the city and like you know maybe that's why he's sometimes not the nicest because something traumatic happened to him Mm -hmm. something awful happened to him maybe you should consider that before you start just thinking he's an asshole and uh no one can change your mind about it right so i started having those realizations and started being like, oh, maybe everyone's been through something that shapes who they are. And, you know, maybe you should give them a break when they act a certain way. Mm-hmm. Because it's not their fault. Right. That's what it taught me. Okay. What about you? What about me? What have you learned from... Oh. I was going to ask one more question. Go ahead. You know how they say that quite often, or maybe all the time, (laughs) if you think about it hard enough, that when you undergo a trauma, there's this part of you or multiple fragments of you that are kind of frozen at that age until you're able to resolve it, I guess, internally and get closure and bring those parts like forward in time with you into the present. Is that something you connect with? Yes, and you you know this. I'm assuming you're recalling this, but my therapist said that to me a few weeks ago. We were talking about why I get anxious sometimes and what situations make me anxious. In a situation like being stuck in traffic in a place I'm unfamiliar with, like a part of Denver I've never been to or something, that will give me anxiety. And I'm like, why? where does that come from? And my therapist basically told me that. She's like, well, your body still remembers being stuck in places like in a hospital bed for an entire day right so your body when you're stuck in traffic and you feel like you have you have no choice and you're stuck and you can't move your body's remembering being in the hospital stuck unable to go anywhere having no choice right 
So I definitely think that does come into play and it's a real thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think yesterday, I would hope gives would give me like a little clarity and a little relief because I mentioned, I mentioned this to you earlier, I haven't had any medical anything, procedures, nothing since I was sick. Nothing super invasive. No, I, I got my chemo port removed when I was done with chemo and then that's it. It's been eight years since I've had like a surgery or anything. So I'm like, maybe, maybe being in the hospital all day, getting wheeled into the operating room, talking to the doctors and the nurses, being aware of my entire procedure and like feeling them do it. And then waking up in the hospital, feeling better and going home, being like, oh, even when I am in the hospital, even when I've been in the hospital, I'm still okay. I still get to leave. Yeah. Maybe that'll help. I hope that'll help me oh, gain, gain a little clarity there. I think it definitely will. Yeah. Because all you need is, to, I mean, to varying degrees is evidence that the same thing won't happen again or right. that the same thing could happen and a, a better, more manageable outcome right. will happen. Yeah. I'm taking a video of Sarah and the dog right now. <laughs> Yes, yes. She's getting pet and her eyes were closed. (laughs) Oh my God. Look at that. I'll have to post this on Instagram. She's very cute. Go follow us on Instagram at cute threat. (laughs) Boom. So cute. So the dog was a good, a good turning point. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I just wondered if there were more elements of that, like 17, eight year old life. Mm-hmm. that you find yourself trying to get back to. Trying to get back to? Right, because that's kind of sometimes what happens. Mm. Like if you try to like reclaim that part of your life that you lost, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because when you're going through something that extreme, you don't really get to have the normal like 17-year-old, 18-year-old life experience. And so I feel that like a part of you subconsciously tries to get back there. Interesting. Like what? Anything you've noticed? Come on. No. No? I actually had an uh, an insight about this specifically okay. during my ayahuasca ceremony. Hmm. But I won't get into it here. Why? Because it's not, it's not like my, my story. Do you know what I mean? Because you, you mean you still think it's part of my story? It is. Okay. Yeah. So do you want to wait till a different episode to tell it? I don't want to tell it. <laughs> oh, you don't? No. Will you tell me off air? Maybe. Sign into our Patreon to hear Sarah's... <laughs> Just kidding. We don't have a Patreon. Yeah. But some things need to be kept private, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But you better tell me later. <laughs> um, but do you have anything... Surely you've been through things that you feel like you've learned, you've learned from and you've changed for the better. Right. Well... When you talk about everyone having that that thing, that kind of like a, a theme that is this challenge, it's it, almost as if life were a movie or a novel, and there's this recurring theme that you keep having to conquer that causes you issues. And like maybe yours is health stuff, yeah. which then kind of influences your anxiety and your need to be in control of things and like... I don't know. I don't want to say you're obsessed with health because we're not. But you know what I mean? You think a lot more about health than I think the average human. Um, I don't know. So like yours being health maybe 
in what ways do you do you observe me being obsessed with health? I don't think you're obsessed. Or but I think that you can borderline obsessed. I I don't think you're borderline obsessed either. I think it sometimes you go into phases where you feel the need to control things in a more extreme way. And it kind of comes out of I don't know. It comes out of like a self-judgment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. More so than I need to be healthy. It's more like I don't like myself. Right. For what I'm doing. Right. And I've I've heard people say stuff like Oh, do you want a do you want a cupcake? And someone will be like, "No, nah, I'm good." And they're like, "Oh, come on, man, eat a cupcake." And they're like, "Oh, well, I had cancer ten years ago, so like, I don't eat anything that could contribute to, you know, I don't eat anything unhealthy or mm-hmm. whatever." And I'm like, "Man, I wish I could be like that." I'm like, <laughs> "I'll eat ice cream and be like, I know this is not healthy, but you know, I'm still okay with eating it, right? right? It hasn't it hasn't done that to me, where I'm right. like, I need to be." very, very healthy all the time and only eat vegetables and have no body fat. Did you ever feel that way around the time that you were ill? No, I just washed my hands. Well, I was, I ended up being very compulsively clean for years after because of that. Because when I was sick, I couldn't, like I, I couldn't go to school. I couldn't be in public because my immune system was compromised. Right. So like, you know how sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to sit on the couch because I just ran and my butt's a little sweaty? Yeah. You're like, it does, babe, it doesn't matter. It's just, sweat, <laughs> it's just your sweaty butt's going to be on it later when you're watching TV. Right. It doesn't matter. It all comes from that. Like, right. I would never lay on my bed unless I changed my clothes and took a shower because I'm like, I don't want any germs anywhere near me. Mm-hmm. And it took years and years for that to, to really fade away. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go in the bed with or like on top of our bed with my clothes on until our relationship. Yeah. Which started almost three years ago, which is five years after I finished cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. It's like that shit lingered with me, just trying to be obsessively clean. Okay. So, but but there was no like health obsession at any time. Mm -mm. Well, do you think it, because I feel as if when you're young, you don't always know that you're, what you consume and your level of activity influences your, you know, your immune system or what, what diseases you might acquire. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I wonder, was it not even like crossing your mind? Yeah. I I don't think so. But okay. I was tr- I was trying to be a little healthier before I got sick. Okay. And because it, it was the summer I started to, to run and stuff. And mm-hmm. I lost like a considerable amount of weight. And I think it was partially due to me like starting to do exercise for the first time. Mm-hmm. And also having cancer. <laughs> Right. And it, one of the symptoms being making you lose weight, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, there's another thing I was going to say on that topic, but now I can't on the exactly topic of of something related to that. <laughs> I don't know. It faded. It may, okay. Maybe it'll come back. Mm-hmm. But. Well, I don't really have any. I don't have anywhere to take this, but I think it's interesting that you had like a lump, mm-hmm. and that's like how my dad found his cancer. And it got, I mean, he like went in and saw someone and they said it was like just allergy related or something, I think. Right. And it, only because he got a second opinion did they even know that it was malignant. Just interesting. And you know that also happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, I think I wasn't sure. I was going to ask that, but then you didn't mention it in the story just right. now. So I was like, oh, maybe I, I imagined that. No, no, you're right. I had I had one doctor. He was, he might have been an ear, nose and throat doctor. Yeah. We call him the, like the close talker. 
because he like rolled his doctor chair like r- so our knees were like touching and he was like talking really close <laughs> to my face. Right. It was very intense and it was very weird for both my dad and I. And he said, we're not sure what it is yet, but we can tell you with confidence that it's not cancer. And me and my what? dad were like, wow, what a relief. And we told the whole family. And then like a week later, my oncologist was like, yeah, you have cancer. Uh, <laughs> we're like, well, uh, I'm glad that they found it. Glad we got a second opinion from an oncologist, not right. just an ENT. Mm-hmm. But yep, doctors do that sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything is very, I mean, as much as we know, everything really is kind of still very poorly understood. Yeah. It would seem that we're very good at like putting people back together if mm-hmm. they're wounded. But with as far as chronic illness goes, there's a lot of guesswork. Mm. Yeah. Not so great at that. Yeah. I don't know. Does anything come to mind for you in your life? This episode's like been about me. Oh, yeah. Well, th- before we got, uh, I, I think I just derailed us on my, on my own. But I was saying like health being like kind of the, the theme the struggling theme of your life, like mine is my mental health, mm. right? Because it's it's just like something I've always struggled with my entire life. And it's really the only thing that I've ever wanted to change about myself because everything else that I struggle with stems from my mental health not being, uh, what's the word? What even is the word to use here? My free? mental health just being poor, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, I, I would consider, like, as far as, like, things I want to change about my life, I struggle with, like, career, I struggle with, like, social things. Like, I've always wanted to be more extroverted, and that definitely comes from just my personality and my, like, having dealt with actual, like, pretty bad social anxiety that included, you know, panic attacks and everything. Yeah. So... Have you had any physical trauma? Like, obviously you haven't had cancer, but anything in that realm? No, no broken bones even. Yeah, it's funny that you and I combined are like... Just one whole broken person? Right. Yeah, you have the whole... Body and soul. Right. Well, I've never broken a bone either, and people always, people always say to me, they're like, You've never broken a bone? Because people have these conversations. You know, they're like, oh, I broke my leg when I was 12 and I did this. Oh, I broke my finger. Eric, have you ever broken a bone? And I always say, no, but I had cancer. And then everyone is quiet and then they laugh once they realize that they can laugh because it's me who said it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a joke I, I enjoy making. Right. But how do you think your mental health struggles have, in, have informed you, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it's it's so deeply ingrained. It's so much of my personality. Well, and mental that health. It's, like, I would need a more, like, specific question. Do you know what I mean? Right. And mental health issues are also more ongoing than, like, you know, you need a pacemaker. You get a pacemaker, and then you recover. Right. Mm, I don't know. I mean, how do you think it's changed you? Over the course of time. Well, it's hard to know whether my mental illness changes me or like, because it's just like, there's no, there's no pulling me apart from my mental illness. Do you know what I mean? Because I remember it being there, even like referring to it as an it, as if it's something 
that exists separate from me or a- apart from me makes very little sense because I, it's in all my memories, like all of them. Yeah. Even even as a child. Yeah. And I, like I, I it's I hate to say it because I don't like. I don't. I've never really liked the idea of like um, identifying so strongly with things that are quote unquote wrong with you. But it really is such a a big part of my life, mm-hmm. and just thinking about mental health, and all of my interests, I feel have come have stemmed from my struggle with that. Right, like I majored in psychology in college because I thought I wanted to be a clinician. And work with people who are dealing with... I, I wanted to specialize in, like, borderline personality disorder because that's what I had been diagnosed with. And then later on, I get into spiritual topics because spirituality... I mean, you don't really get into spirituality unless you're hurting, usually, right? Maybe religion because you're raised in under a particular religion, but, like, as an adult who's never really been spiritual or religious before, like if you go seeking that out, it's usually because there's something going on that you're trying to make sense of. And that was the case for me. So it was kind of like partly because of my mental illness and my dissatisfaction with uh, like just my life in general after graduating and like not knowing what I wanted to do and not knowing even what my options were. And also then my dad getting sick, like all of those things, like trying to make sense of that. I find spirituality, I find, like, self-development, I start reading obsessively about all that. So it's, like, all of my hobbies also to do with that. Also, like, working out. Like, I asked you about whether um, you went through, like, an obsessive health phase after you got sick. And I did because when my dad got sick, I was like, shit, like, I need to take care of my body. And that's kind of like why I finally stuck to being vegan because I had been trying to go vegan for a long time. I was like, oh, I'm cutting everything out, starting to exercise. I'd been super inactive, Mm -hmm. not athletic at all my entire life. Like actually really identified with being like that person who is a couch potato and stays inside. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, no, got to fix that. Yeah. Did you ever feel like turning to religion at all no. when, when you've struggled with anything no do you think that's because your family was yeah religious because i'd been i'd been raised catholic and i mean when i say raised I, i'm i'm sure my family didn't raise me in the most religious way like i don't know i had friends who were mormon who were a lot more involved but did go to church every week i did go to uh, CCD catechism classes for years and years and years, got baptized, got confirmed, like first communion, all of that in the church. So I was, it was kind of like forced upon me, but I never really engaged with it in more than a, like a service level way. I just showed up yeah, and kind of like zoned out during mass. And it never occurred to me to like turn back to that when I was actually like struggling so I was I was raised in a Jewish household, but less less involved. Right, I had a bar mitzvah when I was thirteen. We went to temple like on some holidays, like on the high holy days. 
mm-hmm. like Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, I guess. Yeah. Um, that that was really about it. And I think for that reason, because I was mildly involved, like I my family didn't drown me in Judaism. And mm-hmm. I think for that reason, when I was 10 and I got the pacemaker, I remember going home because I had to, they literally, on it was like a Monday morning, we went to the doctor and they were like, go home, pack a bag and go to the hospital. Like your surgery scheduled for today, you know? I remember going home and like packing my bag as a child and like praying to God that I was going to be okay. What? Which is fascinating to me. When you say you prayed, do you did you feel like you had a direct line to God? No idea. Or you prayed, you learned, you knew a prayer and you recited it. Oh, oh. Right, because I former. would like say Our Father or Hail Mary. No, but I was just repeat. It was like a. Like a mantra, right? You know what I mean, yeah. Well, the 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 hard part about Judaism is that the mantras are in uh, Hebrew, Hebrew. <laughs> not English. Mm-hmm. So no, I didn't go home and say like Baruch Adonai. <laughs> like I went home and I said like I was like bawling my eyes out and I was like, dear God, please let me be healthy and survive and whatnot. Right. Looking back on that, I was like, kid, what are you doing? <laughs> but you know that's because I then grew up and had a bar mitzvah and then realized I didn't believe in God and that I'm. I guess, agnostic, um, something, you know, so, but back then it was kind of like, well, Judaism is the only thing I can, I can connect with right now. So I'm going to connect with it. And I did. So that's why I asked if you ever had an experience like that. Right. Well, it's interesting. But you were being forced to go to church every week. Right. And when I, when I, when it was happening to me, I felt very like, I felt I identified with my Catholic upbringing and then. I went away to college and I kind of disavowed it. And I went through that very like, I'm an atheist, nothing has meaning, like the opposite. And then my dad got sick and all of that. And I kind of swung back towards, I don't know, it's more just like generally spiritual place where I'm pretty open to other religions. And and I think most of them have something good to to offer. Yeah, Um, I I have no problem with religions. I mean, they're all... They're all, they're all positive and should have a good impact, right? On like the base layer, like the texts and whatnot. It's just people use religion. Humans, yeah, humans use religion and humanize it and change what the meaning's supposed to be, and some bad things happen. You know. Yes. So, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Are there any other questions? For you? Yeah. That was a little, that felt a little conceited. Do you have any more questions for me? No. No. Okay. Great. Cool. Well, uh, I guess the podcast is over then, huh? <laughs> I know, I know sometimes, I know sometimes I've like ended it prematurely and you've been like, I didn't feel like we were done, but okay. So I want to make sure. You're also not saying anything. <laughs> what? Which is confusing. Uh, all right. Well. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, find us on iTunes, rate and review us. Follow us on Instagram. We are at Cute Threat. Uh, support the podcast via Anchor, which is our distributor. You can give a monthly donation. Um, and yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.